Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 270 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam. I'm joined by Jill. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. We're in a little mini intro session right now. We are. It's totally fine. Although by the time they listen to us, it's October. It's true. Just all of the pumpkin gifts. And I always, I always, like a traditional tweet of mine on October 1st is, uh, I would like to welcome the pumpkin emoji into my most used emojis for the next 31 days. Yep. Glad to have you here. Yep. Oh, I love October. Me too. So, so wonderful. It's going to be apple picking and scary movies. Did you see the the most recent trailer for the new Halloween movie? We talked about this a little bit, I think. No, we did not. Like the Michael Myers. I haven't seen it. Oh, I'm so excited for it. And The Ringer, who we now mention all the time. We should talk about, we should talk to The Ringer about, like, we should. doing something. Um, they're doing a podcast about the creation of the first microphone. <gasps> yeah, it's called, like, Halloween Unmasked or something. I haven't checked it out that yet. That is but, amazing. Oh, yeah. man. Anyway, that's October. That has nothing to do with today's episode. We should have used this for the intro for the next episode, which is all about horror books. Too late. Oh, well. This fits. No, no, no. This will fit. That's this actually fit. true. Yeah. Okay. Talk about what this episode is. So, this episode is an interview I got to do with one of my absolute favorite authors, Deborah Harkness. Seriously, I totally fangirled when they emailed. Um, And she is the author of the best-selling All Souls trilogy, which is about witches and vampires and grown-up witches and vampires. Um, I just need to clarify. No, I understand. (laughs) Witches and vampires. And she has a new book out now called Time's Convert, which is set in the same universe. It's kind of like a companion novel. Um, in the All Souls trilogy, you meet uh, Matthew's son, vampire, um, Marcus. And so this Times Convert is about Marcus and his um, human lover, Phoebe, who has decided to become a vampire. And it's about that. And then um, Matthew and Diana, you know, are dealing with parenting. And so it's like, De- you know, Deborah talks a lot about um, the book is sort of looking at parent relationships a lot. And um, yeah, it was, it's good. I started reading it because we got an advanced copy. Thank you, friends at Penguin Random House. And <laughs> I just, I love her book so much. I love this universe that it's set in and I'm so excited there's another one. And this is out now, correct? This is out now. Yeah, because I saw, I, she thought, I, I saw the title out at um, a local bookstore with my wife. <laughs> I was like, Jill interviewed her. Yes. Yes, it is out now. Uh, we talked a little bit about the TV show because there is a TV adaptation of Discovery, which is in Britain. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. And yeah. That's awesome. I'm excited to listen. I haven't gotten to listen to the uh, interview yet, so I'm excited to check it out. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, you can go to professionalbooknerds.com. That is where you will find a email address for us, which is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. That's where you'll find a link to our Viber group, which is our 
kind of community that we have created with our sister company, Viber, where you can talk all about book things. And actually, we were talking about um, Salem Witch Trial books just last week. So this That's is very true. on point. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, at ProBookNerds. We're super active over there and love chatting with you. So I think that's everything, yeah? I think so. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation that Jill had with Deborah Harkness on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Welcome to today's episode. My guest today is Deborah Harkness, international best-selling author of the historical fantasy series All Souls Trilogy. The first book, A Discovery of Witches, is a television show now airing for our British listeners. Deborah is a history professor at the University of Southern California. She has received a Fulbright, Guggenheim, and National Humanities Center fellowships. She has a brand new companion novel out now called Times Convert. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Two Times Convert? Yeah, sure. Times Convert is the story uh, of three, sort of three different narrative threads. It is, on the one hand, the story of Diana and Matthew and their children about a year after the events that happened in the Book of Life. It also follows the first 90 days that Phoebe Taylor, Marcus's fiance, uh, has as a vampire. She undergoes her transformation from warm-blooded human to vampire over the course of the novel. And because of that, her fiance, Marcus Whitmore, who is the, the son of Matthew Claremont, um, he is uh, sort of... Uh, forced to reconfront, recollect his own memories of becoming a vampire back in the 18th century. Uh, and so it really is a kind of a braided story that is a meditation on parenthood and childhood and rebellion and revolution and change. And uh, it was just enormous fun to write. After you finished the original trilogy, did you always intend to come back to this world? No, I was not sure if I could come back to the world. Um, you know, the, the stakes were so big in the All Souls trilogy with uh, life and death and the survival of the species. And um, it was kind of a fevered pitch that would, would have been hard to sustain. And so I needed to take some time to just imagine um, how I could tell a, a more on some ways a more uh, everyday story, but one that still has um, pretty big stakes, like, you know, growing up and becoming your own person, um, but in a much quieter sort of uh, uh, tempo. And so it, it took me a little while to get there. So in that case, what what was it like kind of revisiting these characters after so many years? Well, in, in, in one way, you know, for me, it's never a real revisiting because they're always with me. It just took me a long time to figure out how to tell the story that I somehow, you know, that I already kind of knew. Because with most of these characters, I've got pretty well-developed backstories that already exist for them. Um, but knowing something and being able to, to tell it in a story form, those are two different things. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it just sort of was like a, a kind of family reunion in some ways to go back in there and start writing. 
And in some ways, it was a voyage of discovery because I really didn't know markets of Phoebe all that well. So now that you've, you know, you've had this book and, and looking at Marcus and Phoebe closer, um, do you think there would be opportunity for other characters? I'm sort of imagining, you know, Anne Rice did it with Interview the Vampire. She had that series of books looking at Louis and Lestat, and then she started writing books that delved deeper into some of the more secondary characters. I only ask because I would love an entire book just about Gallo Glass, but I'm not going to, like, pressure you into that. <laughs> Um, Jill, you are not the only person to ask me for a Gallo Glass book. Um, so I would love that if that was the case. I think for me the big thing is, is how to remain sort of uh, creatively engaged and to, again, always be telling stories that have uh, a bigger purpose than just delivering a backstory um, because that's how I'm really engaged as a writer. So, again, it, the hardest thing is always to figure out how to tell that backstory. You know, what would Gallo Glass's backstory look like? Where would it start? Um, you know, with Marcus, for example, I thought that I would be trucking right through the New Orleans years. For those of you who've read the trilogy, you know that Marcus had some pretty serious ups and downs in New Orleans and in the 19th century. And when I came to be writing those parts of it, it was really clear that Marcus was not the best person to tell us about life in New Orleans and his family. Mm. It was going to be another family member who would have had a little bit more distance and be able to tell us a more interesting story about what it was like to be in New Orleans during that year than Marcus, who was sort of trying to preserve his children and, and feeling a lot of guilt and angry at his father. And it just it just will be more interesting. So it's the how. That's what is always the, the key. Okay. That's actually a good lead into my next question, which, um, you know, at the beginning I mentioned you do teach um, history um, and history of science, and you've written scholarly works before turning to fiction. And I've always been very curious about your research process because you already know so much about these historical time periods, and yet here you are kind of writing it and putting a fictional spin on it. So how do you go about deciding what gets included? You know, do you, are you a little flexible with the facts? Um, so if you could just, you know, talk a little bit about that process. It's a great question. Um, I'm never flexible with the facts. Um, the facts uh, of the piece um, stay more or less, you know, what, what the historical record shows. But of course, the historical record never actually tells us everything we want to know, because the historical record is based on documentary evidence. And all kinds of documentary evidence that would be really interesting doesn't remain. For one thing, in the past, we don't have recorded conversations. So anything that's in dialogue or a conversation is completely fictitious mm -hmm. uh, because we don't have any of them. Right. Um, we may, they may allude to things that we know for fact. But the other thing is, is that as a historian, I'm actually less interested in the facts, which are well established and in most cases incontrovertible, than I am in how we interpret those facts. Um, and there's a real there can be real differences of opinion about that. You know, because again, we don't always have all the evidence we would like. So, so one of you know my students always say to me, you know, did Henry VIII really love Anne Boleyn? <laughs> well, 
Some people would say yes. Some yeah. people would say no. Some people would say that's not the right question to even ask. Right. Because that, you know, that wasn't what it was about. And it's those sorts of scholarly debates I want to bring to life rather than uh, a fact. Okay. Because that's what I think the interesting thing is. So in the case of Times Convert, where the, a lot of scholarly debates are, is about this issue of, in the 18th century, how did ideas about the family and being a good parent and a good child influence big political events like the French Revolution or the American Revolution, where the king was seen as the father and the citizens were seen as children. So obviously, if that's the way you think about politics, then your own ideas about how a family should run would really influence that. So that's what I really want to delve into as a historian. That's where the really fascinating research is, is to read that scholarship and think, wow, how do vampires complicate that whole situation? Um, and that's when I kind of figure out I'm really off and running. That is true. How would vampires? <laughs> yeah, I could see how vampires would complicate pretty much anything in history if you look at it from that perspective. Absolutely. So it's not the fact. It's the interesting thing. It's, it's about thinking, okay, wait a minute. What does, what happens when an, an 18th century young man who has one idea about what a father's obligation to his children are and it's seeing that worked out on a, net, a global political scale. What happens to that person when they become a vampire under the authority of a medieval man mm -hmm. who thinks that the father's authority should be unquestioned? Yeah, that's way more interesting than just facts. Yeah, when you put it like that. Way more interesting. <laughs> way more interesting. And this is what I'm always telling my students, right, is, is that History is not actually about the facts. We have a record of the facts. What history really is, is about a set of competing, changing interpretations of those facts that we hope takes us more and more closely to what an 18th century or a 17th century, or in my case, a 16th century person would have um, experienced and thought about the world. Hmm. Um. You, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, this medieval character, which if I'm, you know, Matthew, and one of, um, in terms of sort of competing interests, I'm have questions about how you navigated the tension between presenting Diana as this very strong, independent woman, and then having Matthew be this character with somewhat control issues, but he has that, you know, he comes from that medieval background where gender roles and relationships were very black and white. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things he had, I, you know, I had to come up with right away was the fact that um, Matthew may be attracted to strong women, but the bottom line is, is that feminism for him has happened in about the last 32 seconds of his life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's got a lot of growth to do. And, uh, you know, I think that there's this, often a tendency to want to see in the past um, kind of the values and judgments that we have in the present and just find people that like, oh, look, they, ha they educated their daughter. They were a feminist. Wrong. They were not a feminist. They may have educated their daughter, but I can promise you it was not for reasons that would look anything like modern feminism. Um, and, and so, 
you know, it, that, again, as a historian, was one of the reasons I found it interesting to think about a 1,500-year-old vampire getting attached emotionally to a modern woman. These are two people with very different ideas about how the world works. Right. And what's going to have to happen in both cases is they're going to have to do some compromising for it to work. And that's what I enjoy in relationship stories. I'm not really all that interested in will they or won't they fall in love. He's the hero, she's the heroine. They're going to fall in love. We all know that. <laughs> what I want to know is how are they going to stay together, given the very big differences between them. And Times Convert got, gave me a chance to kind of push that into parenthood because, you know, they're pretty early on in their relationship to be having kids. Right. And um, they haven't sorted themselves out, and now they've got the added complication of twins. So um, that's going to be really interesting in the years to come. So can I ask you a couple questions about the TV show? Sure. You serve um, as an executive producer. I'm curious how much involvement you had in the process. I was very involved in the process. It was very important to me before I sold the books to anybody developing it that we were all on the same page, that I was not going to be a sort of absentee executive producer or creator. Um, these are characters who mean a lot to me and to my readers, and so I wanted to be there and be part of the creative process of adapting them for a new medium. Uh, so I was involved, um, you know, with everything from the original creative discussions to the final um, edits of the of the episodes. So right all the way through. Okay. A friend of mine who has seen the first two episodes has remarked on some of the changes she's seen, including introducing certain characters earlier than they appear in the book. And she also feels that the show portrays the witch community in a more negative light, which she actually appreciates as a storytelling device, especially for those who don't have the background of the book, because it, it explains a little bit more about why, you know, Diana seeks someone outside her own community um, as an ally. Was this a conscious choice or is she just picking up on things that were not intended? Um, I, I think it is a more maybe a little bit more complicated than that okay. um, because we were looking at how to break something down over eight episodes and she's sort of maybe reflecting on two. Right. So she's giving you like, okay, this is where I am right now. Okay. Um, the reality is, is the book is told from Diana's point of view. So we only know what she knows. Uh, it was very clear to me and to the other uh, people involved in the project that there was no way we could effectively make a television show that was from Diana's point of view. Uh, and so what we have done is what we have tried to look at the whole world as if, um, you know, to figure out, okay, on the day that Diana goes to the library and pulls out the book, what was Matthew doing on right, that day? Right. Where was Peter Knox? These people existed. So where were they? Um, like, so we were starting all of the storylines at the same time, whereas in the book, you know, Diana doesn't meet up with Peter Knox for chapters and chapters and chapters, but he was on planet Earth at that time. So we just decided that we were going to go and explore it that way, and I think it makes for much more interesting television. And it should also ideally bring to readers a kind of, oh, that's what they were doing. How cool. Um, so in this case with the witches, you know, we meet Satu, I think, almost at the same time we meet Sarah and M. And so there's just more tension between the kind of 
powerful congregation witch and the more domestic bishop witches from the very outset than we see in the books. No, that makes perfect sense when you explain it that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I live in Cleveland, and um, um, I'm going to kind of fangirl out on you just for a minute. Um, but about six years ago, you came to Cleveland on your Shadow of Night um, book tour, and I remember coming to Cleveland, Um, And I can't remember the exact context of of how this conversation or question came about, but I think someone had asked you about time management with writing a book and having a job. And you, your response was, and I I remember this, like I actually quoted it directly, like I wrote it down. Um, It was write two pages a day for a year and you have a discovery of witches. And as a writer, that, really stuck with me as superb writing advice because you really broke it down in a very clear, concise way. And I was just wondering if you had any other additional advice for writers out there. Well, I think that one of the things as my life has gotten busier that I realized is that sometimes even two pages a day is uh, too much to ask. (laughs) Um, You know, what I I now remind myself that I remind other people is that every book ever written was written one word at a time. Mm -hmm. So I think as writers, one of the things we do is we try to take on the whole thing at once. We want to write the first draft and the final draft and the first chapter and the ending and everything that comes all the time because we're so anxious that like the muse might go away or you know we'll get distracted or whatever and I think if we could just sort of like almost like a meditation or a yoga practice if we could just sort of breathe and be like okay one word then another word if I just keep writing one word down at a time I'll get my pages in I'll finish my book Um, and then we, we can be a little bit more vampire about it. We don't have to be in such a rush to finish it and to get to the next destination. We can enjoy the moment we're in a little bit more. That's what I'm trying to do as a writer. So maybe it'll help some of your listeners or you uh, as well to just kind of remember you can slow it down a little bit um, and, and have some time to reflect. I like it. So one thing we do at the end of all of our author interviews is something we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine sort of lighthearted questions. Don't put too much thought into them, okay? Okay. What was the last book you finished reading? Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. We actually had her on the podcast a couple uh, weeks back. What is a book that made you fall in love with reading? A.S. Byatt's Possession. That's a good one. Favorite place to read? Oh, boy. Probably in bed. What is one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Norway. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Coffee or tea? Tea. Favorite food? Pizza. And who is one person, dead or alive, that you would like to have dinner with? Queen Elizabeth I. Oh, that's a good answer. I would probably pick that one, too. Um, oh, it would be awesome. <laughs> I don't think she'd be very happy to see me, but it would still be awesome. <laughs> Finally, what is one thing you would like our readers to take away from reading Times Convert? That. Being a parent is one of the hardest jobs there is.
I love it. Deborah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.